Thank you, Paul. Uh, great, to, uh, great to have that bit of the word brought to us. We're continuing a, ser- a series that we've begun, uh, which is called Deeper in the Risen Jesus. And the idea is that as we go through the book of Ephesians, we're learning more about Jesus, about his plans for the world, and uh, we're learning what it means to live in a way that's pleasing uh, to our God. I'm going to pray for us now and ask that God would help us uh, to be able to hear and understand uh, what's being said today. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for this word. Uh, Thank you for this letter that Paul wrote. We pray today that your Holy Spirit would be at work amongst us, taking my ordinary words and by your Holy Spirit, Father, changing us, equipping us and making us pleasing in your sight. Help us today, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. So uh, I thought I'd start with a question. We've sort of been working around this sort of area for a little while. What's needed for the good life? What's needed for the good life? I think one of the things that's needed uh, for the good life uh, is not the Olympic Games uh, or English Premier League football, but a goal, which is kind of the, uh, the picture up there, uh, a clear goal. What are we about? What are we for? What, what, are, what is our purpose? We need to have a clear goal. I, I think someone uh, famously said, if you uh, aim for nothing, you'll hit nothing, uh, is kind of the idea. So uh, if you've got no goal, you don't know where you're going, you don't know what it's about, we need to have a clear goal. And we also need to have reasonable expectations. Uh, expectations sort of shape everything. Does anyone know who that is uh, up there? Swimmer, yes, she is a swimmer. Uh, that's uh, Emma McKeon. Um, so she won a medal, uh, but she also had went on a little bit of a, um, a night out in, uh, in Rio. And she was banned... Uh, from the closing ceremony, which I think they've subsequently reversed. Is that right? Be that as it may. The point was there is an expectation of what good behaviour was for the team. And she didn't live up to the standard and she was temporarily punished. Uh, I had an expectation going to the game last night. Uh, My expectation was that I would see a lot of good rugby played mostly by men wearing black. And that turned out to be an excellent expectation. So uh, that definitely happened. Um, I think expectations matter a lot when it comes to our work world. Uh, If we think our work world is the place that we're going to be most fulfilled in our whole life, uh, when it's not the case, uh, it can be quite devastating for us. I, I I think we have to be very wary these days of the term dream job. Would anyone agree with me on this? Um, I think there might be dream jobs, uh, but they're mostly when you're dreaming. And when we wake up, uh, it's unlikely that we're going to be living in our dream job. We're going to be living in a fallen world where we're surrounded by sinful people, uh, this side of heaven. And there's some days will be really terrible and hard. And I think our expectations going into the day will affect very greatly how we are able to bear up under it. Uh, reasonable expectations really matter. Tell you another area that they really matter. And that's in in marriage. Don't don't they matter in marriage? Uh, Again, I I think, you know, the perfect partner, uh, the person that you you were always intended for, etc., etc., I think that language is, at times, extremely unhelpful for us. Uh, Someone said, uh, if you want to know who the right person to marry is, uh, look to your left or right when you wake up after you've had your wedding night. That's the person. It's the person you're married to. Congratulations. They are the right person by virtue of the fact you're now married. They might not be perfect, but they are the person that you're married to. 
our expectations really matter. And so what I want to do is I want to think about our goal. I want to think about our expectations. More than that, I, I want to think uh, in the book of Ephesians about God's expectations for us. A quick overview of where we've been in the book of Ephesians. Uh, if we kind of divide it up, chapters 1 to 3 are kind of a theological foundation. What does that mean? Um, it's painting for us a big picture of what God's plan is, what he's done in Jesus and, uh, and what his plans are. The second half of, of the book of Ephesians, chapters 4 to 6, which we're starting now, are a practical exhortation. What does that mean? Basically, he's getting down to brass tacks and saying, here's how to live. You've heard the theology, you've got the big picture, now I want to tell you what to do. I want to tell you how to live. Okay? So that's kind of where we're up to, uh, up to today with, uh, with the start of chapter 4. As Paul explains how it is that we're supposed to live, he has some everyone things to say, which is all of us together. So what's the whole church supposed to look like? And then he has some each one things to say. So everyone and each one. And we're going to think about both of those levels as we kind of work through uh, our material today. So what's God's goal? What's God's goal for us? Uh, slightly unconventionally, I'm going to go to the end of the reading uh, that Paul brought, brought to us um, so that we can have a look at what the goal is and then see what it is that God's done to prepare us for that and what, region, what reasonable expectations might look like. Uh, I like this picture a lot, not because it looks like a nice day out. Has anyone, um, anyone been on a boat in a storm? Show of hands, little sneaky hands. Okay. What's it feel like if you're in a boat in a storm? My experience, I was on my, my dad's boat and um, it, was, it was a sailing boat. And when you've got sails up and it's going absolutely ballistic and the sea is chopping all over the place, it is terrifying because there's nothing solid. There's nothing sure. And you are absolutely at the mercy of the elements around you. It's totally disempowering. And so I love our guy here. Uh, the mast has snapped off the boat. Uh, there's a, um, what do they call that? Water spout thing coming. And I don't know if you notice the abundance of sharks in the water around as well. Uh, he's having a very bad day out. He's having a very bad day out. Interestingly enough, that is a depiction of what we look like without God's goal for us being achieved. Uh, read with me. We're in Ephesians uh, chapter 4. And uh, we're looking at verses 13 to 14. Uh, uh, we pick it up sort of midway through the sentence there in verse 13. The goal God has for us, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. So the picture of the goal is a mature church. A mature church. A body of people who have grown up from infancy to maturity. A, a group of people who are no longer blown here and, here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people. What he's saying is, uh, if someone else was to, to, to come up to the, the lectern up the front here right now and start teaching you uh, that Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, uh, that there was no heaven, and that when we die, we're just worm food, I would hope 
that this group of people here might be at least scratching their heads and going, um, not entirely sure that's right. Uh, what happens though is if, you, if, if I introduce the person and said, I think this, this, remember last week we had James come up? You here for that? So if I say, I'm, I'm saying James is one of my mates and when he teaches here, I'm sort of endorsing him. Now if I endorse him and then he says some dodgy stuff, that's a bit harder, isn't it? And so a lot of the time, maybe on TV, uh, maybe in books you read, we can go, oh, I think that that person's a good person, and we start listening to what they've got to say, and it can take us off course from our true north, which is found here. And what, what, the, what the vision is here of maturity is a church that won't be tossed, that won't be turned left and right by winds and waves of teaching that we will be people who will be able to hold true to God's word without deviating. That's a picture of maturity. And so it's a picture here, not just of unity, but unity, have a look at verse 13, in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. And so the picture is that you and I will grow up to have the same understanding as knowing Jesus in all his fullness uh, that's a pretty awesome goal to have. And one day we'll see him face to face and it'll be realized. And in the meantime, what God wants for us is to grow up in our understanding. So we're supposed to be maturing to a unity of faith and knowledge. It's not just that we all love each other, but we all love each other and have this faith and knowledge uh, in common. So that's the first part of the goal. The second part, so that's an everyone goal. The second part is an each one goal. Um, is anyone able to tell very quickly what that is? It's a heart. Uh, I, I love that we can recognize a heart. I hope never to see my heart. Have you thought about this? Uh, you'll never see your heart. At least I hope you don't ever see your heart. Uh, it's one of these hidden things. It's inside us and it has all these little bits here, uh, left, oracle, uh, whatever sorts of arteries and bits and pieces there are. I don't know what they are. I hope never to see them. But I tell you what, I really hope they're doing their job. Are you with me? I don't need to know what it's called. I don't know, I don't know where it is other than it's roughly under my ribcage here somewhere. But it, so long as those things keep doing their job, I'll keep living. But if any one of them start, decides to check out for a little while, I do too, yeah? Each tiny part is doing its work. And the second picture here of what the goal is, of what maturity looks like for the church, uh, is here in Ephesians uh, 4, 15 to 16. Have a look with me. This is our each, each one bit. It's for each of us individually. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we'll grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So the picture here is there's a big goal that we'd be mature and there's an individual goal that each one of us is doing our part in the wider body. How are we going to do that? By speaking the truth in love. What will that mean? Well, that will mean as we see people stepping out of line from God's standard, we might quietly encourage them back. We might be the person who says, can I pray for you? Can I help you? Speaking the truth in love, we won't avoid urging one another on to keep following Jesus. The trouble is the people who start to love speaking the truth in love and use it as a uh, cover for just jumping in on people's lives. Do you, do you know this sort of thing? Oh, I'm just someone who loves to speak the truth in love. 
I think if you love doing it, it's probably a little bit dangerous. I'd like to have some reticent but committed people who'll speak the truth in love to encourage one another. So the second picture of the maturity is that we'd be one body where each one contributes their part, uh, be it a ventricle or a whatever it is uh, that, that you are. So what's it look like to live a life worthy of the goal that God has set for us? Uh, I'm in an Olympic theme at the moment, so there we go. Does anyone know who that is? Come on, she is a rower. So yeah, that's easy. Come on, come on. She won a gold medal, so I'm just going to check Australia. Sorry? Kim Brennan. Okay, thank you. Some people know. Uh, that's really good. I, I think Kim Brennan is actually a pretty impressive, uh, impressive lady. Um, how committed is she to what she's doing? She's a little bit committed, isn't she? She's, she's totally all out, totally all in, committed. And uh, she had the joy of getting across the line and winning a gold medal. And she said she was sitting there. She said, I've been visualising this so much that when I got over the line, she said, I'm sitting in my boat going, is this a visualisation or did it happen? How amazing is that? Um, I love what she said, though. This is really interesting. So she's so committed to this goal of winning an Olympic medal. Have a listen to what she said. In a post-race interview, Brennan told Channel 7 that her 11-year pursuit of a gold medal had come at a great personal cost. It's so hard on the people around you. I don't get to spend a lot of time with my husband. I'm not there for him and my family. I think it's quite a selfish thing to do a lot of the time, and I hope now I can really give back and be a support to them. Isn't that incredibly honest? She actually said it's quite a selfish thing to be an Olympian, to pursue a goal for 11 years. Mind you, if that's your goal, she has put it all in, isn't it? She said, that's the end I'm working towards and I will put it all on the line for this outcome. We want to have a look at what a worthy life looks like for the Christian, a fully committed life. Have a look at Ephesians 4. We'll go right back to chapter one, uh, sorry, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. I urge you, Paul says. It's, it's an exhortation, an encouragement, saying, grip hold of this. Your life should be about being worthy of the calling. He said, God has called you from darkness to light. He has called you to be his people. He predestined you before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. His son has died for you. Be worthy of that calling. Be worthy of that calling. And so what, what does that look like? Have a look at verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Let me just slow down for a second and think about those with you. Be completely humble. Can anyone tell me that they're really good at humility? Just raise your hands. It's beautiful, isn't it? The, 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 the very time we think I'm really getting onto this humility thing is the time we lose it. Be completely humble. There should be no ego. There should be sacrifice and service. There should be God first, you second, me third. Be completely humble. Then he goes on to say, because that's easy, we've got that one sorted out, don't we? Go humility team. He says, be completely humble and gentle. 
What a weak thing. Be gentle. But what about when my strength can overcome you? What about when the power of my voice can dominate you? What about when my position can intimidate you? We have a world where power gets used wrongly all the time, doesn't it? Here, Christians are called to be completely gentle. How's our parenting? How are our marriages? How are our workplaces? Be completely humble and gentle. Well, since we've got those all sorted out, let's move on to the next one. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. It's like Paul's laying out an impossible set of standards for us, isn't it? See, why do I need to not be gentle? Why do I need to not be patient? Well, because the world isn't going according to my plan. And so I need to exercise my authority. I need to push back. I need to be patient, bearing with one another in love. There are lots of things that we need to put up with more. There are certainly some things in this life, and let me just be totally explicit, domestic violence, which you do not have to bear with. Okay, I need to say that explicitly. That is not to be born with. But there are lots of things in our life that we need to bear up with. We need to be more patient. Uh, word in season, you know, parenting. I have a six-year-old and nine-year-old. They're, of course, beautiful and perfect. So kids, if you listen to the podcast, it's not you. As a, as a dad, I, I need to be patient. I need to bear with. And then if we've got all of that solved, have a look at verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Our fellowship should be marked by unity and peace. It's important to note that doesn't mean we'll never disagree. But if we exercise humility, if we are gentle, if we are patient, then the ability to keep the unit, unity that the Spirit has created, that will be possible. And I want you to note there, have a look at verse 3, where to keep the unity of the Spirit. Do we create the unity of the Spirit? Come on, join in with me. Do we? No, we don't. He has created the unity and we are to keep it. Keepers of the peace he creates is what we're looking for. What a beautiful picture of this body. So the worthy life, the truly worthy life, live a life worthy of your calling, truly worthy is about transformed character. You know, we call the church New Life Anglican Church. And if your life looks the same as before you met Jesus, guess what? You haven't been changed. You haven't started living the new life. Lord, have mercy and help us starting to live this worthy life. I want to think about it at the, uh, at the each one uh, level, so the everyone level. Um, the, uh, the, the Olympics again... Uh, so the closing ceremony, apparently one of the things that marks the closing ceremony is that the, uh, the, the athletes don't march in in nations. They kind of all walk in together. Is that, am I on track there? Good. So the idea is we're all one in sport, right? And at one level, that's actually really beautiful. Um, but we'll hold the Paralympic Games when? After? Is that right? 
And the people in the stands will get the opportunity to run down and stand on the... Now, you can watch the unity of the world's sporting elite. Is that, is that right? It's intriguing, isn't it? So there's a kind of... We, we kind of it's supposed to be a, some sort of vicarious unity. We're supposed to go, oh, oh, oh we're, we're there. But we're not, are we? And at some level, every one of them is a physiological freak of some kind, aren't they? Please say yes. I was watching the pole vaulting the other day. It's just completely ludicrous sport. Uh, the vision that is here is something far more profound. It's not flags being waved together. Have a look at the grounds for our unity in Ephesians 4, 4 to 6. I mean, th- these are some of the most glorious bits of the whole New Testament. Have a listen. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. See, what is the grounds for our unity as a church? Can people from Chesalon hang out with people who got dressed up in their one-piece superhero outfit today? Yes. Sorry? No. Yes. Someone's voting their kids off the island, I think, uh, and sending them to Chesalon. Um, can, can we have people who ride scooters uh, to church be part of our church? Amen. Can people who come in strollers be part of our church? Absolutely. Can people who drive four-wheel drives come? Uh, Can people who ride their bikes, who ride their scooters to church? Of course. Can people from different racial backgrounds be part of our church? This is unity. It's founded not in something that we create with flags and standing together. It's something that God created. It's our inclusion in Jesus. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. It was great to baptize Mark today. It's the reason that I wanted to do it today. That baptism into the family of the believers. This is our unity. And it's made by God, which means it trumps all. And more than that, this unity that we're included in doesn't just include here right now, does it? There are people meeting in Africa today who we're united with through Christ. There are people in Asia, in China. There are people being persecuted in jail in Syria today who we share fellowship with because of our love and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They will be in all eternity and glory with us because Jesus won them, Jesus sustains them, because one spirit that we have in our hearts is at work in them. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all and in all. What a glorious hope we have. What a glorious hope we have. And so there is only ever one church. Do you know this? There are lots of gatherings of God's church with different badges on the front, but there's only ever one church. We will all be gathered around the throne of God and we won't say that we're Baptists or Anglicans or Pentecostals. We we won't say that. We'll say we're brothers and sisters in Jesus. That's a glorious hope. And and we might be surprised at some of the people who join us there, given some of our pride and and various other bits and pieces. But those who love Jesus will be standing there together with us. So we seek unity 
The unity that we seek is entirely God's work. The God who is, and have a look at how beautifully Trinitarian this is. Sorry, God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Have a look. It's, uh, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. The unity we enjoy is in the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. Bring it on, God. That's my God. When I say God, I mean Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I don't know if you've ever had these conversations with people that say, I, I believe in God. My question for the person who says to me, I believe in God, is I believe in God too. The God I believe in is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Is that who you mean? That's not, that's not gift card God. That's not the nice idea of God. That's the living God who unites, saves, and equips his church. The unity we seek is entirely God's work. I wanted to tell you, sometimes we find expression of that locally. And uh, this is Dean Rarakura. He's uh, the pastor at the local Baptist church, which is meeting in the school this morning. Uh, they are launching their service publicly uh, this morning. And uh, Dean helps us teach the scripture over at Oran Park Public School. Dean and I catch up. And uh, I wrote to him the other morning and said, Hey, Dean, I'm preaching on Ephesians 4, uh, telling me to maintain the unity of the Spirit. I love working with you. What can we pray for you and your church? And he said, Well, we're launching uh, this Sunday. Can you pray for that? And he said, Can you pray for us as we continue to work in the school community and that our church would be gripped by the love of God? And I said, I'd love to pray that. And he said, What can, what can we be praying for you? And I said, Well, it's our Superhero Sunday. Why don't you pray for that? And pray that we would have people come and hear the good news of Jesus. And so as that church launches, I want you to know we are in fellowship with them. They're not sitting in the same building as us, but we're not at cross purposes. They love Jesus. They're seeking to see people saved, and that unity is real. And so I want to stop in the service right now and pray for Dean and for that church, the refuge, as they, as they start today. So will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for Dean. I thank you for the fact that you've called him uh, to be here in Oran Park. I want to pray for that church as it starts uh, its public services for the first time today. I pray, Father, that at launch it go brilliantly, that you'll be winning people, men and women, kids and youth, from darkness to light. I pray, Heavenly Father, that church would grow and prosper and that this, this kingdom that you are building will grow in Oran Park, both here and there, for your son's glory. Amen. Imagine that. What can help us reach this goal? So we've heard what the goal is. We've heard what the worthy life would look like. What can help us reach this goal? Uh, oh, we have some talented musicians here. If I was given uh, one of those instruments, I would make a squawky sound, I believe. Uh, does anyone here play the violin? Do you, Alice? You made the squawky sound, okay. Does anyone play it? Okay, so if we had a violin today, it would not be utilised very well. But there are some keys up here and uh, some guitars and bass and occasionally we have drums as well and they're utilised brilliantly. But we need the right people on them, don't we? Particularly the drums, I think. Need the right people on them. Uh, let's have a look at Ephesians 4 and see how it is that God has equipped his church for this task of achieving the goal. Let's uh, look at verses 7 uh, to 8 here. But to each one of us, grace has been given... As Christ apportioned it. That is why he says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Now, I read about seven pages on that uh, quote. Uh, if you'd like to talk to me about that, that's great. I'm not going to preach it now. 
The bit I want you to see is God has given grace to each one as Christ apportioned it. What that means is each of us has a different gift. We have different skills. You heard the passage from 1 Corinthians. It was read to us by Lyndall. Uh, All sorts of different gifts that God has given his church. And that's actually a wonderful joy. And it makes us diverse. It means that uh, it's not just people who are on a roster here, but you might have a, a gift of healing. You might have a gift of faith. You might have a gift of words of encouragement uh, that needs to be exercised, and we would love to encourage you uh, to find ways to do that. What, what I want us to see is that we're each equipped by Jesus for the task that he has for us. And some of us might get a, a violin, and some of us might get a triangle. My claim to fame, as I think I've told you before, was that I was asked to stop playing the recorder. So that's, um, that's pretty good. So God has equipped his church by giving to each one of us a gift, something that we can bring to the service of the church. Uh, now, here's a non-Olympic uh, example, but uh, he's a pretty good one. Uh, there's a guy, uh, the big tall guy on the end here, in number six uh, Celtic singlet. Does anyone know who that is? Sorry? Not, not you Come on, where is he, Graham? Sorry? Bill Russell, excellent, Celtics player. Uh, he won the, uh, the, the, world, the world championship. You know how it works in America. Anything they do is a world championship. Uh, he, won, he won the whole thing 11 times. That's a lot. And he won three of them as a player coach. So basically, they didn't have a coach. He was the coach, and he was on the court. So he was coaching the team, training them, and playing himself. That's a pretty impressive set of skills. What I want you to see is that God has some player coaches, I think, uh, for his church. Have a look at verses 9 to 13. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who had descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens, in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave apostles and prophets, evangelists and pastors and teachers to do what? To do all the ministry and let everyone sit in the grandstand while they took the glory. Is that that how it reads in your Bible? (laughs) Thank you. Uh, It says, to equip God's people for works of service so that the whole body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith. What is the point? The point here is that whoever serves on staff, Jeff, myself, somebody new who will get in, what's the job? The job, the word ministers, are player coaches for your gifts to equip, encourage, strengthen you so that you can serve God where you are in the way that he has gifted and equipped you. Uh, It's not a team of superheroes. It's good for today, isn't it? It's not a team of superheroes. It's a team of people whose job is to help you to serve one another until we're all built up and reach unity in the faith. So uh, let's try and take this uh, all together. Remember what the big goal is. The big goal is that we'd find unity in faith and knowledge, a unity that's founded in God the Father. Secondly, it's that we grow up and be mature, that we wouldn't be tossed about by every wind and wave of teaching And thirdly, that there'd be activity, that you and I would be engaged in the work of the church. So I want to encourage you today, strive. Start thinking, how do I live worthy of the calling I've received? Um, If following Jesus was an Olympic sport, would we make it through qualifying? It's really interesting, isn't it? 
live a life worthy of the calling. Now, for a bit of metal about this size, round, people sacrifice their whole lives, don't they? Literally. Did, did you hear what, what Kim had done? She said, it's actually cost me, my, my, my family at some level, I've been deeply impacted. My husband's been impacted. Now, following Jesus worthily shouldn't have a negative impact on your family, I hope, right? But my question would be, at what cost, at what level of commitment have you personally said, I'm trying to live a life worthy of the calling I've received? I feel that challenge right now as I say it to you. What does it look like to be fully committed to being a disciple of Jesus, ourselves? Living a life worthy of our calling. Strive for it. And then serve. Serve with the gifts that we've been given for the greater good that God has in this church. Bring all of what you are, your time, your talents, your treasure, bring all of it to bear for that great outcome that God has for us. And if you don't know, we, we, we talk about a church that's faithful, adventurous, compassionate, enduring. Uh, under our compassionate value, one of the things that we ask is, do you know how God's gifted you to serve? And maybe today you've got no idea. If so, write it down on your Care and Connect card. Tell us, I've got no idea how it is that God's equipped me personally to be serving in his church. And it won't be that we'll go, great, we're going to put you on the uh, uh, vacuuming roster until you figure it out. Although, there'll be vacuuming to do. But we want to work with you. We want to say, how do we bring who God's made you to bear so that our church may prosper, so that we might reach unity? We'd love to see that. Well, is today just about information? We've given you lots of information today. No, no, no. We have this information so we'd have clarity, so that we might see transformation. So we might see transformation. I'll leave you with this encouragement. As a prisoner for the Lord then, Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. May God help us to do exactly that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this huge picture, a picture of what our goal is. Father, I thank you for the way that you've equipped us by your spirit, by giving men and women who will be ministers of the word to encourage and equip your people for works of service. I pray, Father, you would give us a vision of the unity you've created that we might maintain it by your Holy Spirit. And I pray, too, that as we seek to live lives worthy, that we might have transformed character, that it might make a difference tomorrow at 7 a.m. around the breakfast table, at 11 a.m. on a building site, at 3 p.m. in someone's living room. Father, have mercy on us. Change us and help us to live lives that are worthy of our calling. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.